Hello, I'm Jake Rabeck, and welcome to the very first episode of Undeniable, the podcast about undeniably great music where I make up the metrics and the rankings don't matter. Today on Undeniable, Scar Tissue by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So I wanted to start the show off easy with a song that I think it's very easy to argue the undeniability of. I don't think anybody would say Scar Tissue isn't a great song. I really wanted my playlist to start with the uh, with that riff, and I really love the vibe of it, and um, I'm excited to talk about it. Um, I just wanted to give um, a little bit of a disclaimer here. This is a good example of a song that um, I don't want you to take the self-portrait of um, of this aspect of this project too literally. Um, this is a uh, pretty heavy song when you get into the lyrics. There's a lot of sort of like depressing things about it. And um, for that reason, I thought twice about having it as the first show. I was like, well, maybe I... Don't want to start off on such a heavy note, but I decided I didn't want to shy away from any of that. So, you know, just, I mean, sure, I've, you know, felt all the things like in this song everybody has, um, but don't think that this is like me, like, you know, trying to tell everybody I'm depressed or something. That's not, um, that's not what it's about. So I just wanted to put that disclaimer out there before um, I get into it. So before I start talking about the song itself, I wanted to give a brief little summary of um, the decades of music as I see them um, leading up to it. So uh, rock music, you know, um, came on the scene in the 50s and it was um, certainly rebellious, but the lyrics were, you know, the songs were all about having a great time and that was what rebelling was. It was a very stilted time and um they you know had this fun music that was just so explosive and that was rebelling um it fell out then it came back and with the beatles and then throughout the 60s um it became a um, rallying point of youth who wanted to change how the world was so they felt um very alienated from the society that they were living in um but the music is still not about alienation. Um, the music is all about coming together and smile on your brother and um, all that. So they might have felt um, they were a um, alienated sort of group, you know, hippies and rockers um, in the 60s. But the subject of the music was um, not dealing with those themes as much. So after that whole thing tanked and then the 70s started... Uh, rock started to get really big. Um, it started to pack stadiums and become this, well, it did with the Beatles, but, you know, really in the 70s, it um, that sort of thing became more, um, more common. And um, there was a reaction against that called punk, sort of this, um, <clears throat> sort of this youth culture within a youth culture, this rebellion within a rebellion, because rock music had become so, um, commercial and mainstream and huge that it didn't feel authentic anymore. So the new rock and roll was to sort of rail against rock and roll and go back to the very basic, go away from prog rock and being sort of uh, technically, you know, impressive or whatever, and just going back to real simple, you know, three chords, power chords, you know, um, in order to really find a place of um, self-expression and um, freedom. So then that kind of, you know, lost popularity in the 80s, arena rock definitely won out that battle. Um, but punk music continued to grow um, in the underground. Then it came back into the forefront with Nirvana. 
And when that happened, it completely changed the landscape of mainstream rock music. It became all about um, alienation and um, disillusionment and being disenfranchised and um, a huge amount of angst and railing against that um, lack of connectivity to the world around them, this disconnect um, that they felt. And I think that disconnect was largely due to the fact that their parents were those baby boomers, were the hippies. And um, that whole vision of the 60s um, didn't last. And so I think there was a lot of resentment that uh, the generation had towards the one that preceded it for not keeping that going. And I think that led to this really dark, dreary uh, tone. Um, the generation was even called Generation X, um, and that was because Generation X was a term that existed before that as just sort of a name for like a lost generation, and someone who was coming up with the name for it said, you know, I think the fact that like, toward the end they didn't have a name for it, and he said, I think the fact that they don't even have a name is germane. So that's kind of how they ended up um, going with Generation X. So that was really the ethos of the time and um, I wanted to sort of build up to how it got there. So now we get to the song itself, Scar Tissue released in 99. And I think that what separates it from a lot of other music going on at the time was that it has these same themes of loneliness and alienation, but it's not railing against them so much as it is romanticizing them. And it does that through this really um, chilled out sound. Um, in making that point, I thought about Radiohead had been around since the mid-90s, and they were already, of course, you know, really doing the super chilled out sound um, about those themes, but it was more sedated. It was more um, despondent. This song has sort of a fondness for loneliness and alienation. I think the closest song you could really compare this to is Subterranean Homesick Alien, which also really romanticizes this um, same sort of themes and it even has a sort of bird's eye view um, imagery in it as well but I don't think the tone of it captures um, the aspect of romanticization and I think that what scar tissue does um, is unique in a lot of ways so the most iconic uh, part of this song is the guitar riff one of the most iconic riffs of the 90s uh, it's very serene very melodic very beautiful it has this muted sort of tone to it um, and i think those two aspects really bring out the uh, meaning of the lyrics so about the lyrics uh the whole thing about it is this with the birds i'll share this lonely view a bird's eye view is a very uh, alienated one it's one where you're removed from things and you're seeing them for what they are as an observer and it's also a very beautiful view. So this loneliness does bring him um, a lot of pain. Blind blood lost in a bathroom stall uh, has been debated that it's about cutting or it's about heroin or it's about menstruation. And I don't really think that um, it matters exactly what it was supposed to be about. The point is, is that something very real and painful is happening in this very unceremonious, dirty place, um, and it's not getting the acknowledgement that um, that it deserves. You know, it's scar tissue that I wish you saw. He's not um, this pain that he's having is not being is not being addressed by anyone. He doesn't have anyone to help him through it. 
he's sort of trying to connect. There's um, a lot of sexuality in the song, but I think an important line is close your eyes and I'll kiss you. So when the Beatles said, close your eyes and I'll kiss you tomorrow, I'll miss you, that was, the idea was, you know, close your eyes to get, to shut out everything else, to just focus on me and this moment you're having with me and close your eyes to bring yourself more into it. But in this song, I think close your eyes is much more, you know, we don't see eye to eye. We're not going to really connect because he's just not able to. And I think the line falling all over myself to lick your heart and taste your health is um, especially telling of that. It's a very parasitic line. Um, and it really belies that he is, you know, a messed up guy, that he doesn't have his uh, himself together. And because of that, he's not really able to connect with someone else in a meaningful way and in, uh, in a way that he really wants to. And I don't think that this is just about sex at all by any means. I think this is his whole sort of relationship to life. And um, aside from the line, blood loss in the bathroom stall, debatably, there's no real reference to drugs in the song. But everybody knows that, you know, heroin was a big part of, um, of that album and of his life. And um, it's just sort of woven into the um, fabric of the music. And that's what abusing drugs is. It's, it's running away from life and not participating in it and not participating in the world around you and um, taking that bird's eye view and I think that that's pretty much what alternative rock rock music in the 90s was pretty much all about that was the big theme that um, that this song really captured I think uh, what's interesting is that it's not railing against it the way Rage Against the Machine or Smashing Pumpkins might but that it romanticizes it, um, that in this space it finds this, um, this comfort and this beauty, and it's using that retreating from life as a strategy to connect back to life. I would call that a very poor strategy. Uh, I don't think you would get a lot of argument from um, drug addicts and people that run away from life that, um, that it's a poor strategy to connect back to life. Uh, it's very self-destructive as... Uh, a big theme in, you know, rock music and culture has always been. Um, and the song is not a piece of advice. It's just telling us what that hypocritical feeling of being removed from life, but finding that um, some beauty in your own space, even though it might be self-destructive, uh, it's just telling us what that feeling is like. And I think that between the lyrics and the music, it communicates that undeniably well, and uh, that's what it's doing here. That's it for today. I'm excited to uh, see what I come up with tomorrow. I hope you are too, and I will see you then on Undeniable.